If you have your Bibles with you tonight, would you open them please to the book of Proverbs, specifically chapter 4, verses 3 through 7. Tonight we continue in a sermon series on God Speaks. God speaks tonight to us about fathers. If you're a father, I hope you got your ears on. If you're a grandfather, I hope you have your ears on. If you're a father-to-be one day, I hope you have your ears on. Because God is going to speak tonight. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Lord will say tonight. Proverbs 4, beginning with verse 3. For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. My father taught me also, and said unto me, Let thy heart retain my words. Keep my commandments and live, my son. Get wisdom, get understanding, and forget it not. Neither decline from the words of my mouth to you. Forsake not those words, for they shall preserve you. Love them and keep them. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all the getting, find understanding. God speaks to fathers. I heard the story of a little girl who was in a very talkative mood. And she began to pepper her mother with questions. Mom, where do babies come from? And the mom thought a moment and she said, the stork. Who protects us from bad people, Mama? And the mother said, policeman. Who would save us if our house caught fire? The fireman. Where does our food come from? The farmer. What are we going to do, Mom, if our car breaks down? We'll call the mechanic. Well, Mom, what do we need Daddy for? <laughs> you know, that question's on the minds of some people today. You see, they're smart people, self-proclaimed smart people. They call themselves enlightened. They call themselves elitist. They call themselves secular progressives. And they're asking the same question, why do we need daddies today? We need daddies today, according to them, like a fish needs a bicycle. Jennifer Anston, a Hollywood progressive, a Hollywood secular, a lady who has the face of an angel and the morals of an alley cat, recently speaking for Hollywood, said this. She said, when it comes to raising children, fathers are an inconvenience and oftentimes irrelevant. In my opinion, they're quite optional, she said. 
Isn't it truly sad and tragic that in just one and a half generations we have went from father knows best to daddy is stupid? Oh, how we have fallen as a nation. And much of the collapse of what we see in our society is because of the collapse of the home. The writer of Proverbs did not have a low opinion of fathers. In fact, he had a high opinion of them. Under the Lord's leadership, he has much to say about fathers and dads and their importance in the home. In Proverbs 6.20 it says, Keep your father's commandments. In Proverbs 13.1 it says, A wise son heeds his father's counsel. In Proverbs 23.22, Listen to your father who gave you life. And then in the verses we just read, he says, My father taught me also... He said unto me, Let thy heart retain my words and keep my commandments that you might live. If truly dads and fathers are no longer needed, if truly they are optional, unimportant, irrelevant, why would God put such an emphasis in his word on the man of the host? I'm not a trendy person nor a statistician necessarily. But I do look at them occasionally because I think they can be eye-opening. Many respected studies have much to say about a father's presence in the home, what it means to the children and the grandchildren. Let me share with you some things that have been proven by those who study the home. And many of these people who study the home and came up with this are not necessarily Christian. One of the things they found in their studies is that the best fathers are the biological ones. The best dad that you will ever have is your biological father. Now, I want to say to you some, a word to you men who are stepdads. Thank God for you. Because many times a stepdad has to step into a situation. And many stepdads do step into situations that, have a, that are just difficult. And they turn those difficult situations into something that is smooth and easy. They pour themselves into the children that are not necessarily theirs biologically. And they do a good job. But a stepdaddy, as good as he might be, cannot replace the presence of a biological father in the home. A stepdad cannot upsurp nor replace a biological father. Study after study shows that. But again, thank God for stepdads who make an effort and try. You've made your home better, I promise you. Also, studies have shown us that boys learn how to be men from the presence of a father in the home. Masculinity can be taught, 
but it's mostly caught. It's not something that a, a boy learns by listening so much as he learns by watching. And when you have a father in the home who role models masculinity and responsibility and moral and spiritual values and leadership, he is teaching his son how to be a man. We have many wonderful mothers who are filling gaps in the home. But as good as a mother is, a mother cannot substitute herself for a father. Dads teach boys how to be men, and mommies can't do that. Thirdly, girls learn from their fathers self-esteem and self-worth. Without a father in the home, study after study after study shows there's a 50% greater chance that the girls of that home will grow up to be abused or promiscuous before their time. A father gives the girls in the home self-worth and self-esteem by how he talks to them and how he interacts with them. And a girl who does not have the presence of a father will often struggle with who she is and how she should conduct herself around men. Fourthly, fathers provide the home with a measure of protection against thieves and thugs. A father in the home is a deterrent. Now I know some of you might say, oh, he's just an old male chauvinist. I can beat up a man. You might can beat up a man. I can shoot a man. I know you can shoot a man. But quite frankly, if a thief and a thug has a choice to make whose home he's going to break into, chances are the home without a man is going to be first. The presence of a man in the home is a safeguard in many ways against the home being assaulted or a robbery or a murder taking place. This is not my thinking. This is people who study this as findings. Fifthly, they also found that children without fathers are more likely to grow up to be criminals and incarcerated. A study of inmates in Texas found that 90%, think about this, 90%, 9 out of every 10 people in a Texas jail or prison was raised without a father in the home. Wow. Studies show that children learn better when there's a father in the home. They learn how to read better. They learn how to do math better. Their scores in both verbal and mathematical scores will increase. They learn respect for authority. 
They learn obedience to rules and to laws by just having a daddy present. The mom is the heart of the family. She teaches love. The dad is the head of the family. He teaches discipline. And you need both. The point of all of these studies is that daddy is important. A father is needful and necessary. And without one in the home that's actively engaged with the family, the family suffers. The children of that family, the grandchildren of that family, suffer profoundly. There's no replacing a father. There's no replacing a dad. He fills an earthly need and he fills an eternal need. Now, have you heard me? Are you listening, men? You've got big shoes to fill. God wants you to be a success. You say, well, I, I, I don't know how. Well, I'm going to teach you some things real quick how you can do that. But what I'm trying to get you to see is how important you are. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It's never too late to start all over again. Today can be the first day of a new beginning, a fresh start. Today can be the first day of the rest of your life. It's not the purpose of your pastor to put a guilt trip on you. The purpose of your pastor is, is to rethink your value, your worth, your importance in the home and position yourself to make a difference. You can't change what's already been done. You can't unscramble eggs that have already been cooked. But you can start over. How do you and I become successful fathers and grandfathers and dads and granddaddies? What are some things that we need to put into our parenting bag and pull out from time to time that we can have a earthly and eternal positive effect on our children and grandchildren. Well, I believe there's three things that we can do. The first thing we can do is we can be a good example. We can be a good role model we can be a good example to those little ones that God gives to us. In Ephesians 6, 4, the Apostle Paul, writing on the home, says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition, the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Now, most of you know that verse. Do you know what that verse means? Well, uh, uh, well, uh, 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 that's what I thought. That word admonition means example. Fathers, bring your children up. Bring your children up. Train them in the way they should go. And not just do it with your lips, but do it with your life. Don't just talk the talk, but walk the walk. Be the example. I told you earlier that children learn not with their ears, but with their eyes. 
We try to teach with words, and words have an effect on people. But what has an effect on people is when we not only teach with our words, but we live it out with our life. Dads who lead their children to the Lord, dads who teach their children godly ways, usually do so with their lips and with their life, through their exhortations and by their example. How they live publicly and how they live privately. They don't send mixed signals. Their signals are straight, strong, and clear. This is who I am, this is what I believe, and this is how I live my life, and this is my example to you to do the same. Dads who are successful don't sing hymns and praise the Lord on Sunday and use profanity Monday through Saturday. I don't believe there's anything more damaging to a Christian's testimony than to have a foul mouth. And I'm a former football coach, and I can tell you it breaks my heart to see men who claim the name of Jesus but you put them on the sideline of a football game and out of their mouth comes profane, vulgar words. Successful fathers don't just sing hymns on Sunday. They sing hymns all the time. That's what comes out of their mouth. Praise. They don't say go to church. They take their family. They lead their family to church. They're actively involved on the front end, not the back end of church. They don't harp on moral values while drinking a beer and smoking a cigarette and watching a porno movie. Dads who are successful fathers they not only talk the talk, they walk the walk. They not only live it, but they live it. They're a model by which a child can see what the father's teaching them. It doesn't mean we're perfect men, but it does mean we're consistent and we're real. I don't think children expect perfection, but they expect reality. You're going to be a successful dad. You and I are going to be successful. We've got to set a good example. I like to listen to secular music. I know some of you are about to pass out. <laughs> I like Harry Shapin. I like people who sing songs that have a story. He wrote a song and sang a song, and most of you know it by heart, by cats in the cradle. And he talks about raising his son. And he made so many mistakes in doing that, that his son watched his father make those mistakes. And when the boy got of age, 
The father looked at him and said, with regret, he's just like me. Everything that I was, he is now become. Fathers, that's exactly how it is with our children and grandfathers with our grandchildren. Who we are is who they're going to become. Secondly, a successful father spends time with his children. How do you spell time? T-O-Y-S. T-R-I-P-S. Trinkets. Thrills. How do you spell time? T-I-M-E, time. There's no substitute for a father giving to his children and his grandchildren time. You can give toys, but toys don't replace time. You can give trips, but trips don't replace time. You can give trinkets and treasures, but they don't replace time. You can give thrills, but it doesn't replace time. What our children want from us more than anything else is time. Recognition. Acceptance. Pat on the back that says you're important. It doesn't have to be mushy. It doesn't have to be over dramatic. But it's what we do. And some of us give our children everything in the, in the name of providing for them, but we don't give them ourselves. My father was a wonderful provider. But I don't feel like I ever knew my father. Until the last couple of years of his life, I don't believe I ever had a whole lot of conversation with dad about things. It wasn't necessarily always his fault, but I look back and wish that that could have been different. Billy Crystal tells the story of when he was raising his daughter her 11th birthday was coming. The first 10 birthdays of her life, he missed every single one of them. He was away doing this, he was away doing that. He had committed himself here, he committed himself there. 10 birthdays, he missed every single one of them. Number 11 was coming up, and it looked like he was going to miss that one too. He asked his daughter, what can I get you for your birthday? I'm not going to be there, but what can I get you? And for the first time in all of the years, she just dropped her head and didn't give him an answer. He flew off to his trip and got to thinking about that thing and decided he was going to do something. He sent her a big box. FedEx delivered it to the front door on her birthday. 
When she came to the door, there on the front porch was a huge box. And the FedEx man said with a grin, you need to sign for this. Little girl said, what is it? She, he said, I don't know. But it has your name on it, you need to sign for it. And she signed it. She went and got her mommy and she said, Mommy, Daddy has sent me a big box. And they opened the box. And guess who was in the box? Daddy. And she hugged him and cried and hugged him and cried. And to this day, she says, that's the best birthday gift I've ever received. The bicycles didn't mean anything. The dolls didn't mean anything. The doll houses. But daddy meant everything. Successful daddies, they set a good example. Successful daddies, they spend time with their children. And then lastly, successful fathers who make a difference in their children on earth and in eternity's lives. They discipline their children. Proverbs 13, 24. The writer of Proverbs said, He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him will discipline him promptly. Will discipline him promptly. Dad, you and I have a responsibility. Pay attention to your pastor to set limits and set standards in our home and to make sure that those limits and those standards are enforced. People don't respect our words. They respect the action that goes behind the words. America has lost respect in the world because American presidents draw lines in the sand and say, if you do this, we're going to do that, and they don't do it. And because of that, the world has no more respect for America and many different arenas. And what's true of nations of the world is, children, is, is the same for children in the homes. When dads do nothing but threaten and bluff and, and make demands and never do anything to enforce those things, the children lose respect for them. I don't care if my children love me, but they better respect me. Some of us are dads, we huff and we puff. We say, don't do this, do that. But there's never any consequence to anything except another round of hollering and screaming. A dad in the home sets limits. He enforces those limits. He sets standards. He enforces those standards. He's not a bully. He's a rule maker and a rule enforcer. You say, well, pastor, how should we discipline our children? There's many different ways. All children are different. That comes back to spending time with your children and knowing what, 
has the most profound effect on them, getting their attention to change their ways. Discipline is about changing behavior. For some children, all you got to do is give them the look. And they fall right into shape. One of our granddaughters, all you got to do is let her think you're mad at her, and she, it upsets her. She never wants to, to make anybody unhappy. You see, that works with her. For other children, maybe time out works. Taking them out of things that they like to do. For other children, maybe taking away something that they like to play with. Social devices are always a good place to begin. Maybe it's taking away a privilege from them, if they're particularly if they're older. Sometimes you just need to paddle a child. Put the Board of Education on the seat of learning. You don't hit children in the head. You don't hit them in the shoulders. You don't use your hand. You have a paddle, and you apply the paddle to where God meant it to be applied. That's the backside. But dads in the home are responsible for setting the limits, enforcing the limits, setting the standards, enforcing the standards. Because we don't have daddies in the home, there is no standard in many homes. Moms do the best they can, but moms were never created to be the disciplinarian of a home. And that's why we have two generations of kids who have grown up with no respect for authority because they don't know what authority is. They never got it in the home, so they don't believe they should get it in school. They don't believe they should get it on the highways. They don't believe they should get it anywhere. We have a generation of rebels, and it's thought because they're necessarily bad kids as they were never guided kids. Whenever you discipline, you do it calmly. You never discipline in rage. You discipline with consistency. What you do on Monday, you do on Tuesday. You do on Wednesday. You do on Thursday. You discipline fairly. You do it fairly. Not equally, but fairly. Because the idea is to change the behavior. If you can change the behavior with the least, you do the least. If it requires the most, you do the most. You discipline promptly. Just wait till your dad gets home in three months. You're going to get it. <laughs> you do it while it's fresh in the child's mind why he's being disciplined. And you do it properly. The whole purpose of discipline, again, is not to break the spirit of the child. It's to break the rebellion. It's not about hurting the child. It's about helping the child. He who loves the child disciplines him, says the Bible. The hardest thing you'll do as a parent is to discipline. But if you don't discipline, you're going to turn out a Frankenstein. And then you're going to wonder 
Why didn't Pastor Jim do something? Why didn't the school teacher do something? Why didn't the police officer do something? Why didn't the judge do something? Why is everybody picking on my child? It's because, sir, you didn't do what you're supposed to do. I didn't engage much with my father growing up, but I do tell you, Dad was big on making sure the Palmer name was upheld. You better make sure you did upheld that name. Because if you didn't, you got it. That's what God wants of us, fathers. God has called us to be successful dads in our home. Maybe you're sitting here again and you say, I have blew it. No, you haven't blown it. It's never too late to start all over again. Tonight could be the night that you say, Lord, forgive me. I have vacated leadership in my home. I've not been the father who set a good example. I've not been the father who has taught discipline. I've not been the father who has given time to my kids. I have blew it. I have made a mess. It's never too late to start over right now. I'm not interested in making you feel guilty or me feel guilty. There's no perfect dads but one, and his name is Jesus, the Lord God. But we can start over tonight by doing a better job. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.